that was wonderful. Um, children, you can go ahead and uh, be dismissed to go to Children's Church. Um, so we have seen a claim of someone that looks younger than Pastor Mike. A claim of, what, maybe we should change that to looks better than Pastor Mike. <laughs> We've seen a, a claim of bigger, I guess I should claim I'm shorter than, I don't know. I, um, we uh, are continuing this series that Pastor Mike has been in called Eyewitness Accounts. Um, we will be in Acts chapter 9 today. So feel free to take a moment if you have a copy of the scriptures to turn there so that you can follow along. Um, When I was a bit younger, um, I had the opportunity to be a part of an organization called the Boy Scouts. Um, So I remember the very first trip that I took as a Boy Scout. I had entered the sixth grade. I was a... uh, a six-foot-tall, 120-pound sixth grader. Um, so Chris, you know, you know, we, we got that. Um, and I remember our first trip, we went on an overnight camping trip to a Civil War battlefield called Chickamauga Battlefield. And so as a, as a young guy, my first opportunity to be camping out with the Boy Scouts We set up our camp at this battlefield. We're going to spend the night, and then the next day we're going to be doing some hikes. And they they divided up the group so that the younger guys, we got the easy hikes, and the older guys, they got to do kind of the the longer and the harder hikes. And um, that night, though, it decided to rain. And when I say it rained, it poured, and it poured an all-night solid rain. So the older guys get up in the morning and they head out on their hike. It's a little bit longer, so they have a little bit farther to go. So they leave before us young, new Boy Scouts. Um, And so they're out right at at dawn. We leave around 9, 9.30 in the morning. And as we walk, we're enjoying ourselves. We know that we've got some snacks with us. We have a little bit of food to get us to lunch, and then we'll be back. And then our job is to make dinner for the older guys so that when they return, they get to sit down to a meal. And as we're walking, we are going down the path, and we find ourselves with a barrier. The barrier is the small stream that we're supposed to be able to easily wade or, or just step across is now this raging river from all of the rain in the night. And there's no way that we as sixth graders could even begin to think about crossing this stream. And so our leader said, well, um, if we turn, if we go back just a little ways and we turn right onto this other path, it's a little bit longer, but that'll allow us to go to a different place and, and then we can get back and it'll make our trip a little bit longer, but not too long. And so our, what should have been two and a half mile little hike for our young legs is now turning into like a three to three and a half mile hike. And so we take this turn down this other path and we continue and lo and behold, we come across another stream. And once again, we can't cross this stream either. And so we have to backtrack again and we find a road and we get on the road and we start walking to the right. I don't know what direction it was other than that. And as we keep walking down the road, we come to another trail and our leaders say, well, this is the trail that will get us back. This is the path back to our base camp. So we go down this path and again, we come to a barrier of the rising water. And this happened two or three more times. And 
our food is now gone, the lunch hour has come and passed, the sun is now actually getting to be low in the sky, and we finally make it back to our camp, and our two and a half, 2.8 mile hike has turned into a 20 mile adventure. And multiple times, as we're walking, I'm sure that our leaders were thinking, I have got to be on the wrong path. I've got to be on the wrong path. And I think that each of us would say in life, we've said the same thing. I've got to be on the wrong path. Now, in reality, the path that we walk down in life isn't, isn't what we think of as as a trail in the woods. It's not something that we just follow the marks on the trees and we don't turn one way or the other. The path that we follow in life is, is more like a series of intersections. And so me being the parent of little kids, I, I brought my stop sign. Because we find ourselves at intersections in life. And at every one of those intersections, there comes a stop. And at that stop, we get to choose. And as we are at the stop sign, we see the intersection and we, we look to the right and to the left. We can see ahead of us. We have to decide what is the right direction to go. Maybe the right looks easier. Maybe the left looks a little steeper. Maybe ahead of us looks downhill, but it's rocky. But what is the right direction to go? When we enter into Acts chapter 9, we find a man who is on a path. And in this chapter, we're gonna see that in his path, he comes to an intersection in life. And in that intersection, he is forced to stop. And at that stop, he has to make a decision. So in Acts chapter nine, we see it say, meanwhile, we'll get to that word in a moment, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I don't know if you've ever been around someone that was just so filled with rage or anger that even the breaths that they were taking, you could just see like almost the anger expelling out of them. But that's where Paul, or the man Saul, who will be called Paul, finds himself in this situation. He's so angry and furious that even his breath is, that he's expelling is like murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I said we'd look at the word meanwhile. This isn't the first time that we see the individual of Saul in the scriptures. If we go back just a little bit, a few pages in the text to chapter 7, we see a story of a man named Stephen. Stephen is found to be preaching a message to the Jewish people. And this is not an easy message. It's not a, a message of, oh, God loves you. It's not a message of, oh, oh, just, just come and be with God. No, no, this is a message that Stephen preaches, and he says, you have been waiting for the Messiah, and the Messiah has come, and you have murdered the Messiah. That's the message that Stephen gives. And he preaches this message, and it starts to stir the people up. But it's not just that they're a little bit frustrated or a little bit angry. They're enraged with this message that he brings. They're enraged that he would say that they are the murderers of the Messiah. And if you read 
in verse 54. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now get this scene. He's, he's preaching at them. He's calling them out on the sin in their life. And it says in verse 57, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. If that's not a picture of a small child who has, has something set in their mind of what they want and they're not getting what they want, I don't, know, I don't know a better picture. I can just imagine my kids with their hands over their ears and me telling them, well, this is how it's going to be. And la, 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 because they don't want to hear that. No, we're not going to listen. So the people, they rush at Stephen. It says they drag him out of the city and they stone him. It says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul's present at the stoning of Stephen. That means he was also present at the sermon of Stephen. He has seen the crowd become enraged. And at some level, he is some type of a leader in this group. They're willing to put their, their, their coats at his feet while they go do the dirty work. If you go down to verse one of chapter eight, it says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. So we see this character Saul become so enraged with this, this group of people called the Christians. They haven't even been called Christians yet. And he's so enraged with them. So the word meanwhile, this has taken place. Stephen has been martyred. Saul has approved of it, perhaps even led part of it. It says that as a result of that, great persecution took place in Jerusalem, persecution of all of the followers of the way, of all of the Christians, and they were scattered. Other than the apostles, they were scattered out of Jerusalem. And as they were scattered, they took the message of Christ with them out into all of the towns and villages and all of the countryside around Jerusalem. And it says that wherever they went, that they would preach and that God would do miraculous things. He used people like Philip and Peter and John to perform miracles. And the message of the gospel of Christ went out into these towns and villages and to the people. So we see that Saul is leading this, this rage of people, this riot of people to go and try to stomp out Christianity, and at the same time, we see as a result of that, Christianity is now being pushed out of Jerusalem and spreads to the people. Meanwhile, that's what meanwhile is. So meanwhile, Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It says he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus was an important city. Damascus was not, um, was not primarily a Jewish city, but a large population of Jewish people had moved to the city of Damascus. It was found in Syria. It's about 150 miles from Jerusalem. It would probably be a 
depending on if he was riding a horse or walking anywhere from four to an eight-day journey to get to Damascus. And so he's gone to get papers that would say on his way to Damascus, he has the authority to round up any follower of the way, any follower of Christ. And he can gather them and drag them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. So he gets this paper. He begins his journey to Damascus. Now in any story, in any good story, there's always a villain. And I think it's obvious in this story that we can see that the villain is this, this guy, Saul. He's the guy that's out to kill. He's the guy that's out to beat and persecute and imprison followers of the way. If we didn't have a villain in the story, then the story wouldn't be that good. But I want to challenge you in how we think about Saul for just a moment. Saul grew up as an incredibly devout follower of God. He was called a Pharisee. He even called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, which means he knew every law, every rule, and he went beyond the end of his ability to follow every single thing that was laid out by the law in order to be right with God. So as he is out here trying to stomp out and exterminate the people of the way, just for a moment, think about his position. He's a believer in God. He's a believer in the Old Testament. He denies that Christ is the Messiah. In his eyes, he's right. He's not the villain. In his eyes, he's the hero of the story. He's the guy that is going to make sure that the faith that he has, he has been up. He has been devoted to his entire life stays true. Now, now we can look back on the story and go, well, he was misled, he was mistaken. We see him as the villain, but he sees himself as the hero. And in this way, I can relate to Saul. I, I know that in my life, I come up to intersections. And I stop and I have to choose the right, the left. Do I go forward? It's very rare in my life, it's very rare in your life that you take the path to be the villain. We take the path to be the hero. We might be misled, we might be going astray, but in our own minds, I think maybe we at some level can relate to Saul and say, I don't want to be the villain of my story. I, I want to be the one that, that tries to do right. Paul was just misled in what is right. So he begins this journey being the hero. He's on his way to Damascus. And it says in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This bright light, um, it, it blinds him is what we learn. And so when we think about how bright this light must have been, uh, 
in other accounts of this story, we know that this happened about midday in the Middle East where there's no clouds. The sun is, is incredibly bright and glaring down, yet there's another light that blinds him. If he was on a horse, he's knocked off his horse. If he's not on a horse, it says he's knocked to the ground. I'm thinking, what is Paul thinking in this moment? This bright light appears to him, and it says, why do you persecute me? The next verse, he says, who are you, Lord? And I think, what is, what is Saul really thinking? Perhaps, remember, he thinks he's the hero. Perhaps he's recounting the stories in the Old Testament of when God appeared to one of his people, to, to Moses or to Jake, to the burning bush. Maybe he's thinking, this is, this is my moment. This is the burning bush moment for me. This is the moment when God comes to me and he says, you're, you're doing good. Paul, you're, you're on the right track. Saul, you're on the right track. But that's not what happens. He says, who are you, Lord? He recognized that it's the Lord. He recognized that the Lord is speaking to him in a manner that has never happened before. And then he hears these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I don't know if you've ever taken a gut punch like that before. Uh, a moment where you are just in shock. I, when I was in sixth grade and the church I went to had a, a back building that was the education building. It had a basement in it. The, the basement had a couple of rooms, and in one of those is where the, the middle school youth group would meet. And to go down to the basement, there were these stairs, and at the bottom of the stairs, there was a, a doorway so they could close off the bottom. We're playing tag, running around through the whole building. All the lights are off. It's in the dark. We come flying down these steps. Everyone else is like four foot eight. Remember, I'm the six footer over here. And they come jumping off of like step number five to land on the floor to try to get away, and I do the same. Unfortunately, that door frame was just low enough where it caught me square in the forehead. And so I jump off of the fourth or fifth stair. I catch my forehead on the, the door frame. My feet keep going, and I land flat on my back on the ground. I can remember that feeling that feeling of, I can't breathe, that feeling of, everything is ringing, that feeling of pain, and where am I? Have I just died? Is that blood? I, like, I can remember that feeling, and I, I think that that's the type of feeling that we see in Saul. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. In that moment, all of his world has crumbled down around him. He's at one of these intersections where he's stopped by Christ himself and he's presented with something that he did not think was true. 
Instead of thinking, maybe this is my burning bush moment, now he's thinking, I've murdered. I've thrown people in prison. I've dragged men and women out of their houses, away from their families, because of this person who I did not believe was truth. And now he knows. He had rejected this Messiah. I think in our lives that God uses moments to get our attention. They may not always be as dramatic as what we see here where there's a bright light that blinds a person and then they're confronted with an actual voice of Christ who says, I'm real. But we're all confronted by Christ. We all have those moments where we come to an intersection where we have to decide, am I gonna believe in Jesus or does that path look a little bit easier? Or does that path look like I could make a little bit more money? Or does that path look like... And we have to decide. My sophomore year of high school, um, I showed up at school. Uh, My dad brought me to school on his way to work, drops me off at high school. And it happened to be um, in the fall on the National Day of Prayer. Now, the National Day of Prayer, it's tradition that... um, Christ followers gather around the flagpole to pray for the country, to pray for the schools, to pray for teachers, any other requests that are there. The year before, it had been a small group of people, about 15, 20 people. I didn't go to it. Um, This year, as we pull up, I'm astounded. That group of 15, maybe 20, is 400 circling the flagpole. The circle is so large, they're all holding hands that it goes all the way to the far end of the parking lot and back. I go into the school wondering what in the world is going on. And I come to find out that the night before, one of my teammates on the basketball team died in a car accident. Evan was in a car that hit a tree and he didn't survive. And it shook the school. There were these people that would never have gone to the flagpole before, but they found themselves in an intersection. The intersection of what do I do? What do I do with this? And that was the start of the Holy Spirit doing something in our high school that was miraculous. Over the next two and a half years, Countless of my classmates gave their life to Christ at the school. But it took this moment of shocking us. It took this moment of showing up in a way to challenge us. It took a moment of intersection on the path that we were on. And just like Paul had a moment where he had to choose at his intersection, we all choose at the intersections that we face. Saul was stopped in his path and he was confronted with the need for Christ. 
And it gives incredible light to some of the writings that he penned in other, in other books of the Bible and other passages of Scripture. When I read things like, for me to live in Christ is Christ and to die is gain, it, it reads different when you think about who Paul used to be in Saul. When you read, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We see that in Saul's life. We see that very moment where the old goes and the new arrives. It's at that crossroad where Christ shows up with a bright light and knocks him to the ground and blinds him and says, it's me, the Messiah, who you're persecuting. I think about when he pens, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He would say in his writings that he was the chief of all sinners. He murdered Christians. He threw Christians in jail. He, he may very well be able to claim the title as the chief of all sinners. Yet, he said, while I was that sinner, Christ died for me. And then in Romans 12, I read, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, Saul had gone along with the pattern of the world that was taught to him, and it took an intersection where Christ showed up for him to see that he needed to believe a different truth, that he needed to be transformed, that his mind needed to be changed. And in this moment where he has this moment of intersection, that transformation takes place. And so now the pattern of the world that he has followed is gone, and now he has a new direction that he chooses to follow. When God gets our attention, sometimes it's through tragedy. Sometimes it's through pain. Sometimes it's through joy. Sometimes it's through being outside in nature. Sometimes it's through hearing someone's story. Sometimes it's through a sermon. Sometimes it's through reading scripture. But when God gets your attention, you find yourself at a moment where you are at an intersection and you have the choice to make. Am I gonna actually follow with what God is calling me to and leading me to, or am I gonna take an easier path, a path that I would rather choose? We, turn, we continue on in the passage in verse six. Christ says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Christ shows up at the intersection, but he also has a plan for Saul. He says, get up and go. I have something in store for you. This isn't the end, this is the beginning. I have something that you need to do in order to take the next step on the path that you, need, you are now choosing to go down, the path of truth. And if we continue to read down, not only does he have a plan for Saul, if we go to verse 15, it says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Not only did he have a plan 
for Saul to go and meet a man by the name of Ananias to receive his sight back, to gain his strength. But he also has a purpose for Saul. His purpose is to go to the Gentiles and to bring the Messiah to all of the world. And in verse 18 and in verse 19, we read that Paul doesn't hesitate. Saul doesn't hesitate. He gathers his strength for a day or two or three, and then he goes and he begins to preach in the synagogues. And this man that was known as the villain now truly becomes the hero. He becomes the hero that Christ transforms in that intersection. We all find ourselves on a path. It may not be as dramatic of a path as Saul, but we all find ourselves on a path. It's a path that we get to choose at every intersection what we're going to do. A few years back, my wife and I had the opportunity to hike up a mountain in the Smoky Mountains called Mount LeCant. At the top of Mount LeCant, there's a lodge, and outside the lodge, there's these small cabins. And if you reserve one of these small cabins in advance and, and, and pay the rental fee, then you get to stay in this little primitive cabin up on the top of this mountain. And then in the lodge, they serve you meals as a part of your stay. So you don't have to carry food with you. They have water up there. And so you get to just enjoy the journey to the top and then spend the evening, the night, and then the morning at just this incredible lodge that has the, the best overlook. Now, if you find yourself wanting to hike up to the top of Mount LeCant to go to the lodge on LeCant, you'll find that there are five or six different paths you can take. And, and the paths all are different from one another. Some of the paths are the easy paths, they tend to be the longer paths, but they're not quite as steep. Then there's some other paths that are much steeper, but they're much shorter. So you, you don't have to go as far, but it's going to be more strenuous. Some of the paths have overlooks as you travel up. Some of the paths have caves that you can explore on the way. Every path is different. The world will tell you that in this life, there are multiple paths you can choose. That is a lie. The world wants you to think that you can go through the intersections of life and you can make the choices that you want to make, but ultimately, in order to get to God, in order to get to eternity with him, you can choose your own path. It shows up in our lives like this. The world will tell us, you should choose to do what you want. You should choose to do the thing that seems easiest or best. Jesus says differently. He says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Matthew 7, he says, enter through the narrow, narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. What he's saying is, you will come to the path at some point in your life 
the intersection where you have to choose. Do I choose the narrow path? Boy, it looks tough. It doesn't look as, as level and as easy. It doesn't look like life will be as enjoyable if I go down that path. And I would, I would bet that in, the, in a room this size with this many of us, that someone here is at an intersection in life. And God is saying to you, you need to choose the path that is my path. And, and it's up to you. It's up to you. Are you going to take the path that he's called you to? Maybe you have found yourself in a moment where he has shown up. Maybe it's not a bright light, but maybe it's something where he has grabbed your attention at this intersection. Maybe it's through tragedy. Maybe it's through health. Maybe it's through a death, whatever it might be. But maybe he's grabbed your attention and he's saying to you, are you going to choose my path, my narrow way, or are you going to choose the way that seems easier to you? Here's the interesting thing, though. Even after we choose that narrow path, I still feel like in my life, as I attempt to be a follower of Christ, it's still filled with intersections. And, and it's not intersections of, will I choose to initially get on that path and head that way, but it's, will I veer off here? Will I compromise here, will I take a little bit easier step this direction, or will I stay true to the narrow path that Christ has called me to? Just like Saul, Jesus has a plan and a purpose for each of us. His plan for us is to be like him. In fact, multiple times in scripture, he uses this phrase. He uses it to some of the disciples. He uses it to the rich young ruler. He uses this phrase. He says, come and follow after me. He's saying, this is what the path looks like. You want the narrow path? Come and follow after me. Follow in my footsteps. Do the things that I do. Say the things that I say. The things that matter to me need to matter to you. That's what the narrow path looks like. And it's not always going to be easy. And even as he said to Saul, you might even have to realize how much you'll be persecuted in order to stay on that narrow path. And we have the choice. Not only does he have that plan for us, but he also has a purpose for us. In Matthew 28, we read our purpose. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We have a purpose in life. It's not a purpose just to be self pleasing or self seeking, it's not even just a purpose to just try to stay on the path. The purpose, as we are on the path, is to help other people find the path. To tell people, this is what Christ taught. This is what it means for your life. And so, as we face intersections in life, I would ask you, when's the last time that you taught someone about Christ and what he is here for? 
Some years ago, I had the opportunity to lead some mission trips to a place called the Bronx. Um, I had some friends that were missionaries there. Their names are Harv and Robin. Harv and Robin have a tender place in my heart. Um, in fact, I would tell the groups that I would take to the Bronx, I would tell them, I take you here, we'll do ministry, but really I want you to meet Harv and Robin. These are people that, that have the Holy Spirit in them and it will change your life. They weren't always missionaries. They lived in Ohio before they went to the Bronx. Harv had started a plumbing and electrical business and did really, really well. And one time he was on a job. He was working in someone's basement. He had put the ladder up to get out of the basement. And when he was near the top of the ladder, somehow the ladder came out from under him. He ends up on the floor, the concrete floor of this basement. He had fallen eight or 10 feet, landed on his back. Somehow he writes the ladder, climbs out, drives home. But something's not right. He goes to the doctor. The doctor looks him over and they said, well, nothing looks broken. You seem okay. We're gonna send you home but he kept getting worse. Um, and it comes to find out that he had a massive infection and the infection was a result of, he had a compound fracture of his arm. And what they thought was a small scratch was actually a bone that was sticking out of the skin of his arm. And somehow the doctors had missed this. And by the time they got him to the hospital, the infection was so bad, they weren't, they weren't sure if he was gonna lose the arm or if he was even gonna lose his life. So he's in a hospital bed, he's dazed, he's unconscious, he's in and out, and he has this vision. Harv said that at the end of his bed stood this figure, and this figure spoke directly to him and said, Harv, you have worked long enough for yourself. It's time for you work for me. He closed his business gave it to his sons. And he and his wife, they said, we're going. Wherever God takes us, except for New York, we're going. <laughs> About a year later, they found themselves living in the Bronx in one of the hardest neighborhoods in America, a place where they heard gunshots every night outside their door. And they were the gospel. They were the hands and the feet of Christ they were following the path that God had called them to. So my question for you as we end is this. Have you only been working for yourself? The, the intersections that you find yourself facing, maybe you've already chosen the narrow path in life. You say, I'm a Christ follower, but as you follow Christ, as you face those intersections, are you still choosing things based on your own desires? Oh, that path, that if I veer that way, I might still get there, but it looks a little bit easier. Or are you saying, no, Christ, whatever you have for me, no matter how hard it is, no matter how easy it is, no matter the blessing, no matter the tragedy, no matter how difficult my life might look, will I follow? Will I stop living my life for myself and at the intersections, will I make choices to live for Christ? That's my question for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're amazed at this life of Saul and that you would call him. I, yeah, before we hear the end of this story, we think, why him? 
And I think most of us could also at times say, why us? And for the people in this room that find themselves at an intersection where they have stopped and they have to choose, I pray that you would give them the courage and the wisdom and the strength to choose the path to follow you. Jesus, as we go from this place, we go, and I pray that we would be a people that would be about your plan to follow you and your purpose to bring other people to the path. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming today.